You're listening to Solar Insiders, a fortnightly update on the ins and outs of the solar industry and what it means for consumers. With New Economy's editor, Charles Parkinson, and leading solar industry veteran, Nigel Morris. Solar Insiders is brought to you by Solar Analytics, suppliers of intelligent solar monitoring, and SunWiz, makers of PV cell software. Hello and welcome to this episode of Solar Insiders. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and One Step Off the Grid. And joining me as usual and with a new microphone is Nigel Morris from Solar Analytics. Nigel, how are you? Giles, it's a pleasure. Oh, that's too scary. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, ex- I'm excited. You need, you need a rig. Giles, as they say in the industry, so I've got a new rig. Yep, you Hope need a it rig. Sounds better. How's so what you've better? got? What you've gone and done is you actually stolen the microphone from that bloke at Love Song Dedications. That's right, Richard Mercer. He's, he's finished. You know, he doesn't he's do finished? it anymore. Yeah, no he's way. finished. So I'm taking over from here. <laughs> it's just uh, I remember okay. I used to. I remember quite often I used to when I worked at the Financial Review. I was sort of you know like a night editor there, so I'd get out of there about midnight and I used to take it or just before midnight and I'd take a taxi home. And it was always a love song dedication. Always on. I'd just be sitting there cringing in the back seat of the taxi, going, "Oh, oh look, and and doesn't exist anymore." This song to a special lady I love with all of my heart, Giles, a lady I'm blessed to know, a very, very special lady. You must be talking about our producer. <laughs> that's, that's exactly <laughs> right. Bless her. We wouldn't be here without her, would we? <laughs> this look, one's um, for you, Anne. Look, um, look, you having a new microphone is not the only stupendous event um, that's occurred this week. Um, we've also <laughs> got a new. Um, we've also got a new sponsor, um, oh. Warwick Johnson's Sunwiz and his product PV Cell, um, oh, who solar stores should know. So, look, um, thanks, Warwick, for. Um, yeah co-sponsoring this podcast and welcome on board yeah good on you was great to yeah. have you on board he's a great uh, great source of data we often refer to to warwick's um excellent industry data well look um on that very topic um both um he and his rivals out there have produced data for the last month and it shows um it shows another month of um, plus 100 megawatts um installations in australia that seems to become a norm now um the boom has installed itself, um, and interestingly, um, it was a bit down on previous months because of Easter and the Anzac Day weekends, and that can be expected. Mm. But we are within an inch of seven gigawatts now in wow. solar in Australia. In fact, wow. it could actually have passed that by the time that people listen to this podcast because wow. it was about 50 megawatts short by the end of the month. And it's probably gone past that now, um, or well, pretty close well, to it. We're doing a bit uh, today. The crews were here actually putting a brand new solar system on top of the building where our office is. So, you oh, know, there, there you was, go. Was, there was 50 kilowatts going up here just to help out with the new. Well, system. nice to know that solar analytics is also solar powered now. <laughs> yeah, well, it's taken a while. It's complicated. <laughs> Look, um, some interesting things in that data, um, mm. um, Nigel, and it actually goes to what you mentioned in your last podcast, um, and that's in South Australia. Now, it's absolutely tanked in South Australia. It's um, almost down about, it's down about 40% from the previous month, and some of the results for some of the individual solar installers are pretty shocking. Um, I've sort of seen some of them. Um, it's actually sort of subscriber information, but... Um, Geez, it's not look good. I mean, and it's just being blamed, basically, on the policy uncertainty. So, of course, we had the state election in South Australia in mid-March. Um, mm-hmm. Labor lost. The coalition came in and then basically caused, caused confusion and uncertainty over their position about rooftop solar and battery storage. And I'm just thinking in particularly 
of the Tesla virtual power plant um, and that plan to sort of basically give solar and storage for free to low-income households in return to um, you know give them a PPA back again and put together a big virtual power plant and a Sonnen initiative which would have been accompanied by um, um, a manufacturing plant in Adelaide which is still That's in right. doubt now because there's just no clarity. No, and um, yeah, we've continued to to chat to a bunch of people. In fact, I was chatting to um, to someone uh, quite well known down in South Australia just this afternoon, and asked him what what his view. And he said, "Yep, uh, inquiry." So he's at the front end of the market as opposed to registrations of STCs. He's yeah. in the lead creation business and uh, doing uh, doing a lot of business nationwide. But he said, "No, South Australia has has really tanked." Um, interestingly, he did make the comment that although it has dropped off from its peak, uh, it is still running just about the same as where it was last year. It was a little bit ahead of last year, as the as the registration data showed, but it's definitely come off the boil. And in fact, multiple companies have been telling um, uh, me the same thing. Um, of course, you always have some who are up and some that are down. So part of it's the the competition mm. in the market. Um, and Anzac Day and Anzac Day falling in the middle of the week really messed up. April, so it was you know less working days in April, so it was kind of to be expected. But um, definitely come off the boil a little bit out there from from what we're hearing across the across the board. Well, it just goes to show. And look, um, I've actually put in some calls to the South Australian government to find out what's going on, if they can actually offer any clarity. Um, and haven't heard back at the time of this podcast being recorded. But um, mm. it's going to be interesting because I'm going down to the storage and um, energy conference um, in Adelaide in a couple of weeks. Oh, yep. um, so that's going to be pretty interesting. And the South Australian Minister, um, Dan Van Holst Pelican, will be speaking. So um, it'll be interesting to sort of hear what he's got to say for himself. Yeah, that'll be a good litmus. You know, whenever there's a show on, it's always, it's always a good gauge of what's going on in the industry because you, you get to... You get to see what people, which people are there, and which people aren't, um, and it's an indicator uh, of of you know how confident they're feeling or how how they're not. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, the other thing that's kind of as as we predicted, and I actually went back and listened to episode one that we did at the beginning of this year um, when we talked about where we thought this year might end up. And one of the things that I that I suggested was that if the if the year did take off, that it was going to create something that we've seen before, and that's huge volatility. The uh, when we're in a growth uh, uh, market like we've been um, for the beginning uh, for the first quarter of this year of course everyone's natural reaction is okay ramp up you know hire more people wages increase uh, because uh, people can can ask for more because there's more demand the cost of installs went up we talked about that in one of our previous episodes because supply and demand we saw PV prices go up and so there's all this volatility and there's a huge demand on capital there's there's everyone's running at a million miles now to keep up and what's the what's the result that we predicted back in episode one high risk and the chance of people not businesses not being able to survive that and lo and behold we saw a business collapse only a week or so ago who's been sadly in the industry for 10 years or more in fact so um, we name them um Hmm. Let's not. Let's not. <laughs> let's not. Um, it's it's a pity, you know. Obviously, they didn't get everything right, but you know, it is so hard out there when you're capital constrained and you're trying to grow. And you know, I've I've seen this uh, small players and big players. We've seen some restructuring 
in some mm. of the very large players where they're adapting and they're trying to adjust. We talked about Tindo last week. I've spoken to a couple of other really big players who are really working hard to, to kind of keep the machine really, really fine-tuned because if you're growing at a rapid rate of knots, you've got all this capital and then suddenly the market slows down a bit like it did in April, well, you've still got a big multi-million dollar bill to pay. Where does the money come from? So volatility is something we're already starting to see and the impacts are, sadly, businesses are going to, uh, some businesses are not going to survive it. Yeah, well, look, look, it's a cutthroat business um, and it's a highly competitive business and uh, margins are hard to um, um, to maintain. Oh. It's not helped, um, I have to say, by the existence of a lot of very cheap crap out there. And one of the great laments oh. of many installers is that we gave them a quote, we cut ourselves to the bare bone, and then they've just gone on and bought this absolute rubbish, which they, which they found somewhere, fell off the back of the truck, or they seen something on TV or something like that, and, um, and paid um, a lot less, but for something which um, ain't very good. No, and, and you're, you're, you're right on the money there. And, and you know, if, I, if there's one message that I'd say to consumers, and this is in support of every good solar installers in the country, consumers, please stop buying crap. Honestly, there are still way too many people out there thinking that, you know, six kilowatts at 2,000 bucks or two and a half thousand bucks is just fabulous. And it is the opposite of fabulous. It is crap. It is going to well, fail. Well, tell, tell us, it is going to fail. That's the problem. Because I mean, well, I, mean I, I guess we shouldn't just be sort of defending solar installers here. That's not the only reason why you wouldn't buy crap. Um, and you buy higher margin profits or sort of more expensive profits. But basically, you're saying that if you buy crap, it's actually going to, it's just not going to work properly. Well, no, it's, well, let alone the fact that the probability of product failure goes up dramatically as you go down towards the bottom end of the market in terms of price. But the other thing that happens when, and then it was a whole lot of great stuff on social media about this, where when you reverse engineer those numbers, and even if you do it, you know, assuming really low cost product and, you know, everything else, you look at the numbers and you go, you know, what if someone installed six kilowatts and they're running their business and they took maybe $300 worth of profit off that entire job, that $300 is all that they have left to spend on their marketing, to support you in the future, to support you in case something goes wrong, to come and back come back and fix something if something you know was done wrong during the install uh, uh, so there is no money left when you buy a system for that type of price for them to ever support you again it is just a sign that they're going to make a little bit of money and run for the hills and hide mm. um, it, it, it's you know it is absolutely a false economy to buy at the bottom end of the market and I really feel a huge amount of sympathy for the guys out there trying to battle against it I don't know why the um, the new guys that are out there, particularly this, it's either the smaller new guys or it's uh, one or two of the big guys who just think this makes sense and it's just a recipe for disaster. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, good advice there. Good advice. Look, um, moving on to um, the back to the political arena. Rena, mm. I mean, it's just interesting with this sort of growing uptake of rooftop solar. But geez, if, if, um, if there's they can't one help word, Josh, can they? They can't. If there's one word to describe this week in in politics, solar politics, what is it, Giles? Tell me what it is. Well, no, you tell me. Delicious. 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 Oh, Monsieur, Monsieur le Président Macron. That's yes. Right. Yes. It was such a, I mean, poor old Lucy, you know, lovely compliment, but, you know, um, what's going on out there? Malcolm suddenly decided he liked renewables for a second and hijacked a solar launch in Victoria. 
Well, actually, because it was a uh, it was a signing of a um, a tender between um, um, Sanjeev Gupta and Neowen, the uh, French renewable energy developers who put in the Hornsdale Wind Farm, the Hornsdale Power Reserve, which people will probably more commonly known as the Tesla Big Battery, and a bunch of solar farms in New South Wales, um, Parks and um, Dubbo and Griffith. And so they're building this new solar farm, Numerka. Um, which is funded by the Victorian state government, I believe, not Which the got the go-ahead, right? absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's got mm-hmm. really nothing to do with the feds at all because the, it's the Victorian renewable energy target that's actually provided the incentive to this and, and the fact that they want to sort of get, get the credit, renewable energy credit for their tram network. Mm. So because it was a French deal, um, and this and Neowen is actually sort of partly French government-owned, the mm-hmm. signing of this was at the um, at, uh, at uh, Kiribati House in... Um, in Sydney, and it, and you've got to laugh because there was Malcolm Turnbull, who's ridiculed the Victorian um, renewable energy target and all state-based targets, out there saying what a wonderful deal this was, claiming credit for it. At the same time, you've got Sanjeev Gupta just sort of dismissing everything that the coalition said about the sort of the you know the perils of renewable energy, saying that renewables is actually the che- the key for cheaper energy. I mean, figure this out: he's actually using solar energy to power the Laverton Steelworks. He's going to be putting in a gigawatt of solar and storage in South Australia to power the way out of Steelworks and a bunch of other big energy consumers. He's mm-hmm. going to be repeating the dose again in New South Wales to um, to help power his steelworks in, in um, uh, near, near Sydney and Newcastle. Then you've got the guys up at Sun Metals who've just started to um, commission their 124 megawatt solar farm for the very same reason. They're going to be powering their zinc refinery and say it will mm-hmm. underpin their $300 million expansion. Yep. Um, yeah, and look, I've got to say good on President Macron for actually um, calling Turnbull out and just showing that, you know, if you're going to have it, it's all very well. He understands the politics in Australia. Mm-hmm. He understands the d- difficulties. But to be a leader, you have to overcome that and you have to sort of do what you know is right. Yeah. And those were Let's fantastic words. You know. they, they were. And, and, and you know, I, I was even delighted to hear um, Josh Frydenberg appeared on Alan Jones' show uh, twice, in fact. I don't know if you managed to catch it. But uh, it was a fascinating no, interview. No, I was listening to Love Song Dedications. <laughs> <laughs> of course you were. It was. It's really worth a listen because you know uh, Jones went on his usual rant and claims to have you know been mates with Frydenberg for fifteen or twenty years and knows him well and tried to call him on everything and blame renewables for everything and bless him Frydenberg actually came out and defended renewables and um, that was the first time I'd heard him do that for a while. Convincing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So you know, two of them in a week. Uh, Turnbull and Frydenberg both coming out um, pro-renewables. So if nothing else, Giles, it sort of suggests that, um, you know, they're oh, Look, to... I'm going to be a little bit more sceptical about this, Nigel. Yeah. I don't say yeah. pro-renewables. I mean, they're happy to take the credit when, it, when it's there. When it's but there. We did, but we did see Craig Kelly come out. Um, well, so, sorry, roll back a bit. Kerry Schott was speaking um, at a conference last week. Yeah. And uh, Renew Economy actually reported on this first. We quoted, she gave a speech, mm. and she just said that National Energy Guarantee... Um, you are not going to see any new coal-fired power stations. There's no way anybody would be financing a new coal-fired mm. generation did, plant. Didn't the Monash Forum love that? Well, there was an interesting backstory to that because uh, we published that story and got a lot of interest on our website, of course. The Australian then sort of rang us up and asked for a tape of the speech so they could actually sort of follow it up. Um, they didn't do, they didn't get the tape, uh, or before they 
we'll give them, give them the recording. They actually rang up Kerry's shop and got the same comments. Then they branded that as an exclusive, <laughs> and uh, which is pretty funny and pretty pathetic. And um, but basically, they also ran up all the sort of you know all the typical people, you know, um, uh, Tony Abbott. Barnaby Joyce, and then yeah. we had Craig Kelly, and then we had Matt Canavan, yeah. um, all questioning what Kerry Shot was thinking for saying there'd be no coal-fired power stations. And, um, you know, neither Turnbull nor Frydenberg stepped in to um, support Kerry Shot. In fact, they've actually been quite silent about that. So, mm. you know, um, although, although, not you quite know, embracing renewables. No, yet. not quite, but it was good to see something positive happening because to me what that says is they can't deny it. Right, they just can't deny it. Well, um, when they've got people like Sanjeev Gupta and Sun Metals up there too, exactly. solely because it reduces their electricity costs. Bus- businesses are telling them they want to do it, so get on and do it. And interestingly, you know, this week we've seen reports coming out that the Monash Forum is already starting to implode, and there's a whole lot of people who they've been trying to get on board, who are simply saying, mm, "Nah, not going." Uh, there's no. half a dozen backbenchers who just um, are very nervous about what the real intentions of the Monash Forum are and uh, are very nervous that uh, they're straying too far, even from liberal ideology, would you believe? so? Well, then if this is true, Nigel, then riddle me this. Yeah. If the Monash Forum is unravelling and we've just basically got a very small group of far-right sort of nutters sort yep. of leading this policy, you then it. why is the federal policy where it is? Why then doesn't Malcolm Turnbull... Um, take um, the advice of President Macron and actually show some leadership and um, push past this opposition because it's half-baked, it's nonsensical, Mm. it has no Mm. environmental, financial or engineering basis. Just go forward, show some leadership and have some decent policies. Mm. Yeah. I, I, you know, I'm not the expert in uh, what goes on in the party room, Giles, but undoubtedly it's the pressure that he's feeling within the party room uh, to actually make the legislative change and the policy change that he needs to. That's the problem. Um, so Anyway, but look, there's still some institutional resistance, um, not just in politics, but also in institutions. We had the IPART coming out this week. Um, uh. This is a bit disappointing, you know. Um, Over, they're consistent, at least, you know. Well, they, they are consistent. They've, they've yeah, been they've... consistently hopeless since the very first time they started talking about solar. It's getting really boring. Yeah, they just don't get it. So no, um, no. they reset the tariff um, each year. I mean, it's not actually a locked-in tariff. It's just a guide. Um, yep. The retailers don't it's have to pay any attention yep. to it. But still, yep. it, it, it does sort of set the, yep. set the atmospherics uh, and the signal. And um, mm. they've cut it even further down from what they were going to do um, last year. So they actually sort of, last year, I think they had, it was between 11 and 15 cents a kilowatt hour, the recommended yep. tariff. They've now basically slashed that in half from the top range to 7.5 cents. Yep. And, and why have they done some, that? Why have well, they done it? Because wholesale prices have fallen. And one of the and reasons why, why wholesale prices is because of the solar tariff. <laughs> That's right. Is, gone. Look, I don't actually... Look, in, in that, look that in itself... Um, that's okay. If wholesale prices are going down, then then fine, lower the tariff. Mm-hmm. But what I did not appreciate and what I really sort of scratched my head about is kind of their things, you know, they're, they're basically sort of saying there are no benefits, there are no broader benefits from rooftop solar, despite the fact that just about everybody else, including the New South Wales Energy Minister, has been praising solar, one for helping it through some of those system demand peaks that we saw this like summer, Christmas. last yep. summer, and the yep. previous summer. Mm-hmm. Um, plus people like Osgrid coming out and sort of saying, we need more solar in the inner city suburbs so we don't have to spend more money on grid augmentation. And then you get mm-hmm. iPark coming up and sort of saying, oh, well, you know, so- rooftop solar does nothing beneficial for the grid. Well, no. that's absolute rubbish. 
And just their refusal to, you know, entertain things like, um, you know, even, I mean, look, time-based time tariffs are, are sort of very controversial, but just to knock it on the head with a sweeping statement is very disappointing. Well, I just think it shows their ignorance, Giles, because to suggest, which they very clearly do, that, you know, solar only represents a detriment, it imposes costs on networks, it doesn't provide any benefit to networks, as we know, is utter garbage. Otherwise, mm. they wouldn't be doing it. So mm. we know that that's garbage and secondly they fail to make any mention of the fact that those same networks who allegedly are, are, are having costs imposed on them are imposing barriers on solar owners whereby they have to put in export control equipment now that export control equipment costs the end user money so oh. they're forcing end users to pay more to put solar on the network with sophisticated control systems on them that allow just the right amount of energy to go through that the network is going to benefit from by seeing reduced demand oh. uh, and and basically skims any opportunity for a little bit of cream off the end user it skims it off so they get all the benefit with no cost and at the same time take away a little bit of cream that an end user might be able to make and mm. it really irks me that ipart will not get on and acknowledge and proper they just like they just do not understand this stuff and they take a very very narrow view and it is really disappointing yeah, and it just goes to highlight the institutional inertia that's out there in the industry Indeed. and amongst the sort of the watchdog people. Yeah. Um, it contrasts greatly to some of the things that are coming out in the AEMO reports, um, particularly yeah. with the integrated system plan, which I wrote about this week. One of the interesting things about that is the focus that they have on distributed generation, which includes not just rooftop solar, but also battery storage, electric vehicles, demand management and virtual power plants. And they're forecasting, um, they've got a range of scenarios, and they're just trying to sort of basically sort of sit there with the grid and go, okay, right now, what do we need to do? How do we need to plan to manage this and what's going to happen? So they've got all these different scenarios. Mm. But the scenarios of distributed generation are really quite fascinating, and they've got this extraordinarily upbeat um, prediction, not just in electric vehicles. They think there's going to be 10 million of them by, within 20 years. Now, that's half a million a year, electric vehicles. Um, wow. Um, that's what AEMO is um, sort of countenancing in its, in its modelling. But they've also got this amazing um, forecast for um, mo modelling for battery storage, um, accounting for 40% of um, peak demand um, within a couple of decades. Um, I can't remember quite now how many gigawatts of um, more than 20 gigawatts of um, of battery storage installed and various scenarios where 10% of this is linked, 45% of it's linked, 90% of it's linked in virtual power plants, which means mm -hmm. that it will be a resource that you can turn to for both price arbitrage and also sort of dealing with those peaks and things like that. So fascinating insight. They've kind of got it together and realised where this is going. And that's no surprise considering the price of grid energy. Um, but geez, they're going to have to still ride over some of the resistance, not just in the political level, but also in the institutional level. They are, and, and, and you know, time is passing too, you know. We're, we're, near, we're getting close to being halfway through the year and really we haven't seen any movement at all except the ridiculous politicking around EVs. It's... Um, yeah. Yes. Well, actually, just just while we're on that, in fact, we'll, we'll probably finish off with EVs because there's some interesting stuff came out of the Tesla thing, and there's um, mm. some other news around. But just on that point, it was interesting to note that Frydenberg actually put out this release the other day, talking about fuel security. Now, yes. Australia's got its 
pants down around its ankles when it comes down to transport fuel security. We've got, uh, we have this international agreement to have 90 days of supplies in Australia, not just for our own use, but just in case there's conflict or other instances so we can help out other countries. We don't, we actually have about half of that. And last October, we got down to 42 days. But when it translates into actual fuel that can actually sort of power your car and can help the food trucks get to the supermarket and things like that, we've probably got between about seven or 10 days standby. Wow. We've just got this amazing exposure. So they're actually looking at this review saying, oh, well, what can we do to fix that? And so all the emphasis seems to be on storage, you know, where to put a whole bunch of fossil fuels and stick it in a big tank and sort of use that. Hardly any mention at all of electric vehicles. In fact, there was no mention of electric vehicles in the op-ed that Frydenberg wrote, the media release he put out. It was only after I actually um, asked his media advisor, saying, have you guys forgotten about electric vehicles? You know, mm-hmm. if you've got half the fleet sort of, you know, powered by electricity um, with yeah. renewables. Um, you don't need to import so years, much fuel. You don't need so much yeah. um, things going, mm. oh, yeah, no, I guess that'll be a consideration. But, geez, mm. you scratch your head, don't you? You sure do. Yeah. And speaking of, speaking of electric vehicles and um, uh, automotive, um, Mercedes-Benz made an announcement this week about getting out of storage after 18 months. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I'm not too sure why the um, reason is that. Presumably, they think that other people are better better at it than them. Yeah, well, the the couple of stories that I read um, were quite interesting because you know what they were basically saying is that they felt that they could um, do a similar, have a similar play to what Tesla have done, and that is to get the automotive um, sector up and running and uh, the automotive EV sector up and running. So you've got this really good supply of um, high quality EV batteries that you can then push into as a side uh, as a side hustle, if you like, stick it into the stationary storage market for homes and so forth. And their conclusion was, and, and I guess it's kind of uh, representative of the fact that they, they have a very, very premium brand, but their, their conclusion was, the tech that they've built around their uh, EV battery packs was too expensive for the stationary market. It ended up with an over-engineered product that was too complicated and too expensive, and they just couldn't sell it. And and at the same time, you've got, um, you know, every every company in the world chasing that same market, and Tesla doing its thing uh, around the edge. So for them, they um, they they had a big player. They spent an awful lot of money, partnered up with some very very large companies, delivered very little, and have pulled out. Um, so, you know, quite telling. It, it, it shows that, you know, we're still in the very early days of this market and there's a, there's a lot of um, uh, water to go under the bridge yet before this market settles down. Well, that's a bit of a shame because there goes my opportunity of being able to invite people around and say, do you like to look, see the Mercedes see the Mercedes. in my garage? <laughs> <laughs> Point them to my battery storage unit because <laughs> I'm never going to afford the real thing, but um, there you go. Um, Hey, it was pretty interesting listening to um, Tesla. Um, Elon Musk had a, um, a conference call with their results last week, and they said mm. a couple of interesting things. One was about um, this idea of um, going even bigger on the Tesla big battery and not just doing a 129 megawatt hour battery, but maybe a gigawatt hour battery somewhere. Mm. He didn't really say where it would be, but thought it might be signed um, within the next few months. And um, the second one was just him talking about um, acknowledging at the same time about Powerwall 2 and their efforts to actually increase the um, or try and remove the um, the bottleneck and the, and the backlog and that they did they did admit that the backlog is pretty um, 
pretty serious. It's chronic. It's chronic. Um, and, and they've even chronic. put the price up, right? So, you know, maybe well, they're, they're, trying to, they're trying to slow demand down a little bit and, and make a little bit of profit as well. Um, and we know that he's, you know, they, they burnt a fair bit of money in the last quarter on that earnings call. Um, so clearly they're under pressure to start making some money. And the price didn't go up much. I think in Australian dollars it ended up about six or $800 increase. Um, but, you know, that's, um, what's that, about 6 or 8% increase. So it's material. Yeah, look, I think um, Tesla profits will come down to whether it can make enough Tesla Model 3 um, electric vehicles um, in the second half. They are predicting that they can, and they'll get above 5,000 vehicles a week mm. um, by the end of June, and they'll probably need to do that because if they can continue then to, to do that and keep the margin, then Tesla will be making money, and um, there'll be a whole bunch of analysts that might have to eat their words. And mm. Um, mm. I still enjoy the um, the Musk conference call, just sort of talking about his vision for the future. And he was talking about um, shared mobility and what's called the Tesla network, which is the idea that you won't necessarily own your own electric vehicle, but you might actually have an electric vehicle that you share with your family and your friends. His, his um, vision is just wonderful, isn't it? I mean, that's that's why everyone loves him so much. He he is a genuine visionary so you know hats off hats yeah off. absolutely absolutely Although, uh, on that uh, i don't know if they mentioned anything on the call but i'm hearing rumors giles and they are only rumors but uh i haven't been able to confirm it but i'm hearing they may have pulled the pin on the solar roof tile did he was there any mention of that on the call no he no i don't think there was actually on, on this mm. on, on the call um there mm. have been um they have been putting up a, he has been tweeting a little bit um in recent months or tesla's been tweeting yeah. with, um, some of the yeah. new installations going yeah there. there's been a little handful of installations done nearby to the factory is what i've been reading mm-hmm. is their their homes that are close by that they can keep an eye on and say okay they've got some stuff coming out but um, as we all, everyone in the PV industry knew, you know, making a solar tile is hard. Making a tiny solar tile is harder. Uh, making an amazing, cost-effective, uh, uh, brand-new solar tile is really, really hard. And, you know, uh, everyone in the PV industry kind of, you know, cocked their eye and said, how's he going to pull this off? And uh, I still wonder how on earth he's going to do it, except to sell to a very small niche of the market. Maybe that's his plan. I don't know. Well, but, yeah, um, no, it it's going to be hard. It, it's pretty niche stuff, isn't it? I mean, it's very, hard enough to get people to think niche. about, um, you know, um, if you think about the effort that goes into getting people to think about rooftop solar, the idea of actually changing your whole damn roof. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> or going with one of those solar roofs when you're constructing a new building or changing yeah. or whatever. I, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, um, there's, been some, there's been a couple of notable efforts to get into the solar tile or the solar roof basis um, um, sector, including by a couple of Australians. But yep. um um, all yes. very Look, all good luck very, to them. I mean, mm. to me, it's a little bit like solar roads. I just don't get it, and I don't even know why people try. But <laughs> well, interestingly, a lot of people. It's you know that that the solar tile. What I give it is the solar tile cut through. My wife said, "Ah, see, that's what you should be doing. Look at that. That looks good." Right? Uh, bless, bless her. You know, she. But she, along with a whole lot of other people, not from the industry. Um, were immediately on, on my feeds and, and all over the place um, saying, oh, finally, that's how solar should be. Um, so, you know, bless them. Like they've done with so many of their other products, they, they get them to look good, they get them to appeal to a completely different audience. And so, you know, again, hats off. But, you know, let's, yeah, less, less promises, more delivery, I say. Well, maybe, do you think she could be the first customer for the Renew Economy Solar T-shirt? <laughs> I'll, Generate I'll, as you I'll stand pop you in the sun. Size, you know, Charles. little little little, <laughs> little flexible tiles on the on the shoulders and um, on the back. Perfect, perfect. <laughs> pop one in the post, mate. <laughs> 
Look, Nigel, um, on that, I think we might just wrap up. Um, it's um, Look, um, great to talk. Um, look, I'd just like to thank once again um, Warwick and Sunwiz and PV Cell for coming on board as co-sponsor to this podcast, which has been sponsored by Solar Analytics since its instigation. Um, so thanks to both of, um, both Solar Analytics and Sunwiz. And, um, and thanks to you, Nigel. You're welcome, Giles, and, and listeners, don't forget to like us on uh, iTunes and Facebook and wherever else you hear us and tell your friends so that we can um, keep ranking up there. Good on you, mate. Okay, thanks to you and thanks to everyone, um, and that's it for this week. We'll be back soon. Bye-bye. Solar Insiders was brought to you by Solar Analytics, designers and suppliers of smart solar monitoring. By navigating the changing energy landscape, Solar Analytics helps increase solar performance and save money. Visit solaranalytics.com.au, get empowered and make the most of your home energy. Solar Insiders is also brought to you by SunWiz, giving solar retailers the tools to lock in deals and stay ahead of the competition. Visit sunwiz.com.au, Australia's leading solar consultancy.